praise this morning. Amen. It is exciting to be in the house of God at a church that is alive and well and doing some awesome things. Give yourself a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Man, celebrate the fact that you got up and you're here and you are experiencing the power of God on a Sunday morning. Man, it's awesome to see you guys. If you would, begin to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to kick this thing off this morning as we conclude the series Love is in the Air. And hey, one real quick announcement. We're having to postpone the Freedom Conference. That's March 8th and 9th. So if you wanted to come to that, you have a free weekend now on March 8th and 9th to go do something awesome with your family and your loved ones. And we'll get back to you with more details on when we're going to have that event. But it is postponed right now as of, uh, as of now. So uh, enjoy that weekend as you're turning to Daniel chapter 5 beginning in verse number one. And hey, I do want to give a shout out to um, our Sulphur Springs High School basketball coach, Clark Cipolletta, who's a member here at TWBC. They're doing great in their playoff run. And so if y'all see them, just give them a great big hand clap and tell them thank you. Uh, because you have no idea how much he pours into the life of those young people spiritually and physically and teaching them skills of how to do amazing and awesome things. And so uh, we're excited for all that God is doing right here at TWBC. And so, hey, in Daniel chapter number one, I want to go ahead and just give you the outline of kind of what we're going to accomplish this morning um, as we wrap up this Love is in the Air series. We know in the first message of this series, we talked about covenants, and we defined covenants and why they're so great, why they're so important, what God has in store for you. And then Sean Reed came in and showed us the power of covenants and why we need to stay in covenant. And then Matt Spears was here last week telling us what happens when we stay in covenant. God has the ability to make all of your dreams come true. And I want to conclude this series today as we talk about covenants of the importance of knowing the strategy of God in your life to keep you in covenant. Okay, We know that we're in covenant with him when we're born again, but, and his keeping power is great on his side, but sometimes our staying power on our side lacks a little bit. Can I get an amen? And we struggle with the things of the world, but I'm telling you, Sean Reed said it best, the devil, Satan himself, is nowhere equal to the power of God. He's nowhere close. In fact, he's not even in the same vicinity. The fact is, all the, the power that Satan has is simply, he is a fallen angel that had authority, and then when he fell, his authority was gone, and so now he doesn't even have authority Jesus took his power at the cross and so if you're wondering well then why does it seem like he's so powerful in my life he has the ability and the only thing he operates in is the ability of deception so if you think he's all powerful in your life you are already deceived and so I want to tell you that uh, Satan himself has no ability to even come up with a strategy. The only thing he can do is pervert the strategy that God already has in place to draw you away from the covenant. And so I want to challenge you this morning that if, if you have gone through trials in the first part of this year and you are thinking, gosh, is this ever going to end? Why is this coming? And I'm going to tell you the strategy of God this morning for your life. And realize the only thing that the enemy can do with that is pervert the strategy of God to get you away from the covenant. But if we'll stay in the strategy of God, we'll be confirmed with and stay in his covenant of power. All dreams do come true. And the miracles of God are still yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so as we start this out, 
I want to, to the, the, the total impact of this series was to rekindle the two most amazing covenants that God has ever given us. First is our covenant with him. Second is the covenant of marriage that the Bible uses as the illustration of the covenant that we have with God. That's why Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And there is the marriage supper of the lamb and all these other things. Ephesians 5 says, I'm talking about husbands and wives, but I'm really referring to Christ and the church. And so the title of this morning's message is The Daily Dilemma. The daily dilemma. Every believer, whether you realize it or not, there is a daily dilemma that you are fighting. And listen, the road away from the covenant of God doesn't just happen like that. It happens one step at a time over a long period of time on a daily basis. And so if we don't understand the daily dilemma that we are in, we will find ourselves drifting away from the covenant of God to the culture that the world operates in. But if we will understand the daily dilemma, we will find ourselves holding true to the covenant of God, even in a world that the culture is always changing and trying to draw us away from the covenant of God. Can I get an amen? amen. And, and, and if you're real quiet this morning, I'm going to be okay with that because I'm going to do a lot of teaching this morning more than preaching. Sometimes we need a lot of biblical teaching so the inspiration can set in so we can really celebrate what God is doing. So, so if you're quiet this morning, I'm just going to realize, all right, they're soaking it in. It's seed planted in good soil. But if you want to shout an amen, I'm good with that too. All right. So, so Daniel chapter five, ver, or Daniel chapter one, verses one through five says this. In the third year of the, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels with some of the vessels of the house of God and brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So basically what happened here in Daniel is, this is the historical part of Daniel. The first six chapters are historical. The second six are prophetic. Um, and so with this, the historical part is the, the, the Judah was running from God and the Babylonian king went and took over Ju Judah in Jerusalem and brought the people captive brought some of the things in the house of god captive and they brought it back to the land of babylon and so keep picking up in verse three then the king commanded ashpenaz the chief eunuch to bring some of the people of israel both royal family and nobility youths without blemish of good appearance skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge understanding and learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and he was commanded to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that, they, that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. Everybody say three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hanai he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. And so as we read these first six verses, we find in these first six verses the strategy of God that the enemy has perverted and that we read the perversion part of it here to draw the people of God away into captivity away from the covenant. And with that, it wasn't just that the Babylonian king came in and took over 
and brought him and kidnapped him back. See, a lot of you feel like, oh, the enemy's just kidnapped me and running off with me with all these trials and situations and circumstances. No, that's really not the case because you have already overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. So there's something else in here that we got to find and recognize. So in the book of Daniel, he begins to show us the modern day dilemma that is diminishing the power of our covenant with Christ. And if the power of our covenant with Christ is being diminished, it's not being diminished from God's side. Can I get an amen? God is still as powerful and as true and as strong to his part of the covenant as he's ever been. If it's diminishing in any way, it's being diminished from our side through the strategy that the enemy is trying to walk us through. And so we got to realize that in every part of life, there are culture shifts that are always taking place. In America, there's been a dramatic culture shift in the last 30 years. We're actually living in the first uh, post-Christian generation in the history of the United States of America. Some of y'all are like, well, what, what do you mean? And I'm telling you that we are living in a post-Christian society because when it wasn't post-Christian, when it, Christian, what Christianity was the main thing, the, 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 the church was the center of everything, and now it's an afterthought of most things. I'm going to say that again. When Christianity was at the forefront, the church was the center of everything, now that we are in a post-Christian society, the church is the afterthought of everything. And so with that, we got to understand that culture is changing. And how is this diminishing occurring? This occurs usually right under our nose because of the shifts in culture. Now, there are seven things in culture that, uh, that have influence on your life. These seven things are family, religion, economy, education, government, arts and media, science and technology. With these seven things, they call these the seven mountains of influence or the seven spheres of influence that have an impact on your life. So these seven things are constantly hitting you from seven different directions and trying to influence your life. The arts and media is a continual thing, especially with social media now, is one of the biggest influencers in our life. Therefore, you must be careful of how much influence you let social media have in your life. If you're not careful with it, you'll start being social media. Come on now. You'll start looking like it, acting like it. Technology is a major influence. And you know these major influencers work together because social media is driven by technology and so with that we've got to begin to understand everything about your life is influenced by these seven areas all these areas are many times worldly culture and not kingdom culture now listen our biggest problem was this our thoughts are shaped more by the present evil issues around us than the promise of God in us our thinking is more shaped by the evil presence around us through these influences rather than the promise of God, the covenant of God within us. And we've got to make a shift. Our side of the covenant is diminishing, but God has called us to set the culture, not reflect the culture. Okay, I'm going to say that again. As a believer, God has called us to go set culture, not reflect culture. In your Christian walk, if you look at your Christian walk from day to day, you can ask yourself this question. Am I setting culture or am I reflecting culture? And the truth is, you're always reflecting culture. It's just which culture are you reflecting? The world culture or the kingdom culture? And the more time you spend in the kingdom 
of God, in the presence of God, the more you'll reflect that culture. The more times you spend in the worldly culture things, the more you'll reflect that culture. I've seen this happen in my own life. When I spend a ton of time in the presence of God, I notice myself reflecting the attributes of God in his kingdom. When I spend time just not so much in the presence of God and I'm consumed by the busyness of life and the, the, the schedules and the meetings and the, and the stuff and the more stuff and all the things you got to take care of, I find myself reflecting the culture of the world. So you're always reflecting something, but God has called us to set culture, not reflect culture. Now here's the thing. Daniel, in the Bible right here that we just read, had to navigate his Jewish faith in an ungodly Babylonian culture. So this gives us great hope. If a man who did not have the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament can hold true to his faith in the midst of an ungodly culture, how much more today in the year 2019 can we as the body of Christ, filled and endowed with the Spirit of God, hold true to the culture of God in a culture that is constantly shifting away from God? If Daniel can do it, we can do it. Come on now. I'm telling you, you can do this. But we got to watch what's happening. Daniel had to navigate his Jewish faith in an ungodly Babylonian culture. He lived his faith successfully. He not only survived, but he had influence in it. See, see, here's the thing. A lot of us in the body of Christ, we're trying to navigate our Christian faith in a post-Christian society. But listen, Daniel just didn't survive when he was in an ungodly society. He had influence from God and of God on the ungodly society in the midst of captivity. And we're not even captive. How much more influence can we have now that we've been set free? Ooh, I'm telling you, this is good. Daniel not only survived in an ungodly culture, he thrived in it and had influence in it without compromising his faith. Whew, I could just stop right there. I think some of y'all are already on overload, and this is just the intro. I ain't even got to the message. This is still intro. And some of you guys are like, this is just more than I've heard in a long time. It's like you already went through the whole buffet line, and you realize that was just the appetizer section. Come on now, we're going to eat, we're going to eat till we're fat this morning, I'm telling you. And then we're going to go work it off, amen, hallelujah, and have an influence on the culture and the kingdom. Here we go. So Daniel was able to survive in it, have influence in it, without compromising his faith. And so that's what we're going to realize this morning. Because of our covenant, we're going to thrive in our culture, we're going to have influence in our culture, and in that, we're not going to compromise our faith in Jesus as we move forward in the, with the kingdom of God. And it's silent in the house. We will see God's great commission happen through TWBC Amen. in our lifetime. We will bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting with our section of the earth right here in Sulphur Springs. And we're going to have influence in it, and we're not going to compromise in it, and we're going to see the power of God move forward. So let's talk about this strategy just for a second. The strategy of captivity is this. Now realize, the strategy of captivity is simply the perversion of the strategy of covenant that God has established. Yeah. 
And so I'll be referring to this throughout the, throughout the message. The first thing that happens when, when Daniel was taken captive is there's a word that took place in his life that the king said, you must do this to these nobles and these high educated people. There must be a form of indoctrination. Everybody say indoctrination. There must be a form of indoctrination. Listen to verse 3. It says, The king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both royal family and nobility, youths without blemish, good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Okay, so he wasn't going for the, for the lowly people. He was going for the ones who had potential to make his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, advance. And I love what Sean Reed says. The Satan is not prophetic, but he does understand potential. So if you are fighting great battles in your life, understand he sees potential, but God is still speaking prophecy already over your life. And so you've got to go with the prophecies of God for your life, not the potential that Satan is trying to steal out of your life. And if you're saying, well, what are some of the prophecies of my life? The Bible says you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are all these things that the Bible says you are. And you need to start prophesying them over yourself right now. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you, you got to just start declaring the word of God over your life. See, some of you would rather have a word of prophecy from someone rather than the prophecy of God himself. And I don't understand that. You can say about me whatever you want to say, good, bad, ugly, otherwise. Say you like what I'm wearing, you don't like what I'm wearing. I really don't care because there's a prophecy written in here about my life that I'm not backing off of, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to become, because he's already spoken. And if he's spoken it before the earth was ever created about me, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it means he already prophesied about Joel before the earth was ever created, before the fall of man ever happened, and I'm going to accomplish the kingdom of God's work in my life. Ooh, I feel like preaching a little bit this morning. Come on now. All right, I got to get into this. And so he commanded them to get all those highly educated people, but, he, but the rest of the verse is this and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The first strategy of the enemy is this. He wants to change your literature, and he wants to change your language. That's how he always starts. He wants to change your literature and change your language. The term indoctrinate means to train, teach, or force a person or group to accept a set of beliefs and, and do it uh, uh, uncritically. So the first thing, they're going to train, teach, or force a person to accept a different set of beliefs. That's what indoctrinate means. The number one way the, the, we go into captivity is the enemy changes our language. He entices us to speak out of our feelings and emotions, which always change rather than the word of God that never changes. So the first thing that the enemy's trying to do is change your language. Get you in a fight with your spouse. Well, I don't know why you gave me that woman or that man. Right? He's changing your language. Rather than saying the Bible says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and that's the favor of God on my life. <laughs> See, if he can begin to change your language, he's already indoctrinating you in the strategy of him, but if in the midst of emotions you go to something that never changes, and that's the word of God, your strategy to stay in the covenant is to declare the word of God, not declare the situation. 
Come on, this, is, this will change your life. It'll change your kids' lives. It'll change your generational lines. It'll change everything. When you change the way you speak, when you change the way you speak, you will change the generational lines that follow you. The enemy's number one tactic is to change our language. And then also, his number two tactic is to change our literature. So the language and literature is his number one strategy. So in this, we got to understand that the literature God has given us is this. Now, this is the Logos written word of God. But when you read it, it becomes the rhema or revealed word of God. And it's not until you open it and read the literature does the rhema happen. Some people say this all the time. I just want a word from God. Well, open the word of God to get a word from God because his Logos becomes the rhema at the reading of it. It becomes rhema at the reading of it, not the osmosis of it. <laughs> Some of you think I can just carry this thing around. The word of God's getting into my heart. No, it ain't. It's three extra pounds in your backpack that's weighing you down because the logos hadn't become the rhema. But when the logos becomes the rhema, this three pounds of logos becomes three billion pounds of kingdom working on your behalf when logos becomes rhema. See, the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, but it's not the truth that's written, it's the truth that's revealed that sets you free. Because you can read something that's written all day long, but until it becomes revealed, it doesn't become real. Come on. And we've got to get back to the literature and the language. If the literature is... Well, CNN says this. Well, Fox News says this. Well, uh, marriage so-and-so says this. Well, did See, I'm already getting controversy. I'm just talking about news organizations. <laughs> See, our literature's wrong. See, you're worried about the government when the Bible says the government will rest on his shoulders. See, I'm not concerned about our government because I know whose government I'm really under. And, and, and if I stick true to the literature... I'll stick true to the covenant, but if I stick true to the social media literature, and you wonder why I got a big eyeball on my phone, I just saw it. It's because when my kids were younger, I always said, I'm always watching you. I mean, that's just why I did it. I'm always watching you. And so the number one strategy of the enemy is to indoctrinate us with a new language and a new literature. The number one strategy of God is to indoctrinate you when you get born again with a new language called your prayer language and a new literature called the Word of God that's revealed, not just logos. And so he wants to indoctrinate you in a brand new way. The second thing in this that we read about is that they, he, he not only wanted to change their literature and their language, that's the first strategy, part of the strategy, he wanted to change their source. He wanted to change their source. Now, we all know that if you study any part of Jewish culture, the Jewish diet was completely different than any other diet, especially the Babylonian diet. Now, listen, in verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that the king drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Once you are indoctrinated in your thinking, the next step in the strategy is to change your source of food or source of supply. So the deception strategy is Satan wants to change what you say with your language and your literature, then he wants to change your source of your food and your drink. Now, here's why, this is just my personal theological belief. I don't, I, you don't have to believe it. This is what I truly believe. The reason Daniel was so against 
the Babylonian diet wasn't just because of his Jewish faith um, and, and, and what God said, eat and don't eat. I believe Daniel was endowed with the spirit and the power of God, and he knew that the food that the Babylonian king ate was actually food that was sacrificed to idols. Now, that's just my own personal theological belief. And that's why the book of Revelation says so strongly, and even in parts of the New Testament say so strongly, don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols like all these foreign pagan religions do. Because with that, the Babylonian king says, I'm not only going to change their language and their literature, I'm going to change their source. And the Babylonian king wasn't an idiot. He knew of Jewish culture, but he said, I'm going to make them eat what's been sacrificed to my God rather than the Passover lamb that's been sacrificed to their God that gives them the power that they need. So he wanted to change their source, their indoctrination. The Hebrew eating requirements were so different. So once you start thinking differently, you'll start eating differently, and this is where the slippery slope becomes so dangerous. When you get your language and your literature and get you away, you'll start eating differently. And this is why a lot of churches uh, in the post-Christian America are saying, well, I really don't believe that the Word of God is inerrant anymore. I really don't believe that the Word of God is complete anymore. I really don't believe that the Word of God is this or the Word of God is that. I believe the Bible is a good guideline for Christianity, not the Word from God that heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will stand forever. See, and I'm going to pull you back. <laughs> I'm going to pull you back. What am I pulling you back to? I'm pulling you back to the standard that your language and your literature are coming from God. But this is also more than your literature. It's also your bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus is the word made flesh. And he came and dwelt among us. So in that, he's changing your language, he's changing your literature, and he's also trying to change your food source. Now, this is why at TWBC, we are this. And I'm going to tell you what we stand for at TWBC. TWBC is, a, is driven by a passion for the presence of God. We have a passion for the presence of God expressed through sound biblical teaching with balanced and healthy ministry. We are committed to providing strong and stable leadership for our family and the community. TWBC is a place where you will find and experience life change. That's who we are. That's why we exist. That's what TWBC is called to be the standard in this area. And that's what we're standing by. Solid biblical teaching. I don't want you leaving here not knowing the strategy of God and not knowing the strategy of the enemy, how he's trying to change your language, your literature, and then the source of your supply. Now I'm going to close with this. The final thing that happens, once he changes your language and your literature and he changes your source, the last thing he wants to do is change your identity. Once he's got your language and your literature and he's got you eating from a different source, he'll change your identity. He'll change who you are. Now listen, among these, you had Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the king said, give them all new names. Daniel you shall call Belshazzar. <laughs> then you got Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And the three others are still known by their foreign ungodly names rather than the names God gave them of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. See, we even in Christianity and in the writing of the scripture went with their identity change. Now here, here's why this is so important. 
When the name change happens, he's one because he just changed your identity. Listen to how he tried to re-identify these men. With Daniel, the name means God is my judge. With Belshazzar, it means lady protect the king. See, y'all just thought gender identity issues were a problem in America today. This was happening back in Daniel's day. And listen, in any pagan society, gender identity has always been a problem and an issue. I'm not, I'm just making this stuff up. Go do historical research. Now listen to this. Daniel means God is my judge, but the king said, I know he knows what his name means. So I'm going to try and rename him and emasculate him and say, your name is Belshazzar, and he will be referred to as Lady, protect your king. Hmm. It's a slippery slope that the strategy of the enemy tries to indoctrinate us with. And when your identity is beginning to change and shift away from the calling of God on your life, you know you've uh, bit into the strategy of the enemy. But when your identity begins to change and you step into the covenant of God, God also has a new name for you. There's a name that God has for you that it's not Joel. There's a name that God has for me that he will reveal to me when in the marriage supper of the Lamb and all that takes place, he's going to give us our true identity. Come on now. Is this good? Are y'all okay with this? I mean, it's okay. So let's go to Hananiah. It says, Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Let's change his name to Shadrach, which means I am afraid of God. What? What? God says, I am your ever-present help in time of me. Don't be afraid of me. Draw near to me. Approach the throne of grace with boldness. But let's change his name to I'm afraid of God. So he runs from... Mm. I could preach a message on all these names, but I'm just going to roll. Mishael, it means who is what God is. Come on now. Who is what God is. And the fact of the matter is you already are because... The, Hunter, tell me your verse. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, where's it at? First John 4.17. If y'all need a biblical thesaurus, just go to Hunter, okay? <laughs> First John 4.17. As he is, so are we in this world. So you really are this Mishael, who is what God is, but he does change it to Meshach, which means despised, contemptible, and humiliated. See, when he changes the identity, when he can change your identity, finally, Azariah, Yahweh has helped Let's change it to Abednego, servant of Nebo. Nebo wasn't even the king. <laughs> a servant of a servant. When he changes the identity. The strategy of the enemy is this. Change your language in your literature. Worship team, come. Change your language in your literature. Change your source. And then finally, he'll change your identity. He'll change your identity. I want to give you a, an example of how this works. And let's use marriage because we're in the Love is in the Air series. A lot of divorces, when they look back, happened like this. Your language of your marriage changed from love to lashing out. The language of your marriage changed. When the language of your marriage began to change, the literature of where you got input about your marriage probably also changed. You got more advice at the water cooler than the word. Come on. You got more advice from the water cooler than the word. And so he changed your language and he changed your literature. Then he changed your source 
of fulfillment. Come on. To someone else. Not even God, but to someone else. And then finally, he changed your identity. And this is how most divorces happen if you follow them down the, down the path. They changed your language. They changed your, your language from love to lashing out from your, uh, your literature, from the word of God to the water cooler. They changed your source of fulfillment from God and the one you are in covenant with to someone else who you're not in covenant with. And then finally, he changes the identity because most people are divorced in their language, their literature, and their source before the covenant has ever been truly separated. And you're already living, acting, and being divorced before the paperwork's ever signed. Slippery slope. It's no different than with your kids. When your language begins to turn on your kids, you need to be careful. When, when it begins to turn on your kids, you need to be careful. You need to stop and say, am I about to go down a slippery slope? And where am I getting my literature from on how to raise and discipline my kid? Am I getting it from the word of God and the revealed Holy Spirit from God? Or am I getting it from all these other sources of who says how to raise kids in what certain ways? Listen, I'm going to tell you this. The only way to raise a godly child is through the revealing power of the Holy Spirit. I love books. I am a book reading machine and I love all kinds of books and I'll read them, but I'm telling you, if I try to raise my kids according to a book, even a good Christian book, I'm going to miss out on raising my kids godly because the only way to raise your kids godly is through revelation of the Holy Spirit because every person is different, every child is different, everyone is different, and God says they're unique, they're on their own, and if you're going to be a good parent, you've got to get in the presence of God for your kids. Because if you don't, you're going to raise them according to different literature. And then you're going to find yourself saying, can't you ever do anything right? Gosh, I wish you were just more like your brother or like your sister. Why can't you do this? And you're finding yourself already changing their identity, trying to make them like someone else. Oh, can I tell you how dangerous this is? We do it in the church world as well with fellow believers in Christ. We change our language towards each other because we haven't got proper literature about one another. And then our source changes. And then finally, our identity changes. And we become like those people who we don't really want to be like because we've went down this slippery slope. I want to end with this statement this morning. It's time to reclaim your name. It is time to reclaim your name. It is time to reclaim your identity in the body of Christ. I know this about myself. I am a born-again, blood-bought child of the living God, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, fearfully and wonderfully made, who God has great mighty plans for my life. All his promises are yes and amen towards me. I am loved by my Father. I'm a son in the kingdom of God. He asked me to approach his throne of grace with boldness. He says he's going to lead me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. His hand is always on me. His spirit is always in me. His power is always going to work through me and I'm going to press into all that God has for me in his kingdom I'm going to tell you I'm reclaiming my name and telling you my identity right now this morning of who I am and who God has created me to be it's time to reclaim your name this is why we have put such a high precedence at TWBC on next steps in group life 
Because those, this message is great. It's a great foundational piece. But until you go through next steps and get into group life, you're never going to fully reclaim your identity. You're never going to do it because you can't do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. You need somebody. I need somebody. I need my elders. I need my staff. I need my wife. I need a lot of people helping me hold true to my identity and who God has called me to be. Because there's times, I'm telling you, I feel like quitting and walking away. And they say, no, 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 no. You remember your identity and who you are and who God's called you to be. Because quitting is always a real option that the enemy tries to throw in front of me to kick off his strategy. And if I don't have a group life of people around me saying, no, pastor, this is who you are. Come on now. This is why next steps in group life are vital to TWBC. It is our process. It is our strategy to help you reclaim your name and stay true to the covenant that you're in, in Jesus Christ. All right, I could go on for about five hours, but I'm going to quit. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. The first step in reclaiming your name is you got to make a decision this morning for Jesus Christ. And I don't care if you got saved 25, 30, 40 years ago. Man, every time a prayer of salvation is offered, I pray it. I declare, Jesus Christ, I believe that you're alive. You are the Lord and Savior of my life. I willfully submit my heart, my will, my mind, and my emotions, and my spirit to you. And this physical body is yours to do and to use. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today's your day to get a new name. For everybody else in the room, whether you're going through an attack, whether you're going through a time of celebration, don't even let the celebrations define you. Let the celebration be a celebration and the next step on your journey to the kingdom of God. With that, if you need a prayer of faith prayed with you this morning, if you need help in your life, we got altar ministers all around the auditorium. They got lanterns on that say altar ministry. And I want to ask this, if you're not on the altar ministry and you're at the wall, Please find a seat so there's no confusion because people need prayer this morning. And I want there to be no confusion about who's there for prayer and where people can go. So with that, if you need prayer, maybe you realize your literature has changed or your language has changed. You know your source has changed and your identity has changed. You need prayer and we want to stand with you. Your next step is to go to a minister who's waiting for you. And we're going to see your life get changed this morning right here. If God's calling you to come and you want to take the Lord's Supper, come between section um, uh, one and two right over here down this aisleway so the people ministering can continue to minister. Are you ready to reclaim your name? Say, I am. am. Say, let's do this. Say, I'm hungry. hungry. Say, I'm taking my step. Come on, I got to get you going here. Father, in the name of Jesus, as they're hungry, as they're excited, as they're taking their next step, If anyone needs to know Christ, let them come now. If anyone needs a prayer of healing, of faith, a prayer of agreement, let them come now. God, have your way in us this morning. As we worship today, begin to come. Let God change your life.